Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Thursday night, uh, my daughter, Kendall, is 12. She's a sixth grader, goes to the middle school over here. Um, And Thursday night, she was laying out her clothes for the next day. And I saw that she put out her Ezekiel Elliott Cowboys jersey. And so, not knowing for sure that she knew the Cowboys lost last week. She's a 12-year-old girl. I said, Kendall, you know the Cowboys lost. They're out of the playoffs. She said, yeah, I know. I said, okay, what are you doing? And she said, well, tomorrow's Chiefs Day at school. (laughs) She said, everyone's wearing their Chiefs stuff, so I'm going to wear my Cowboys jersey. Oh, wow. Ah. You know, it brings tears to a man's eyes. Uh, So then I asked her over the weekend, it just came to my mind yesterday, and and I said, so how did did Chiefs uh, Day go to school with your Cowboys jersey on? Did they make fun of you? She said, oh, yeah. She said, they were making fun of me all the time. I said, what did they say? And they were just talking about how the Cowboys were out and the Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl. I said, well, what did you say? She said, how many Super Bowls have you won? I said, what did they say? And they said, well, they thought one. And I said, yeah. And I said, so what did you say? She said, we have five. I said, okay, good girl, good girl. So, you know, you do your best to raise them right. And uh, I did tell you I will be the biggest Chiefs fan tonight, though, because I hate the Patriots. So, so good luck, good luck. We probably better pray before we get started uh, too far into this. So let's take a minute to pray again. Lord, again, we are thankful and grateful, encouraged to be here this morning. We, uh, we thank you that we get this opportunity to gather uh, together. And again, we don't gather just as, as friends. We don't gather just as a uh, community group. We gather because of Jesus Christ. And we're here this morning because of who he is and what he's done for us. And we pray that what we do this morning would bring glory and honor to to him. Uh, Lord, we we thank you for Jesus. And we give all of this time to him. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a while back, you're going to have to let me have a cup of water. It is basketball season and we had three games this week. So, I'm going to have something to drink with me up here. Uh, a while back, Jared and I went to Joplin uh, to get together with a, with a group of guys that we went to college with, some guys we had school with. These are, these are guys that are preaching at different locations all around the country, different churches. A couple of them are preaching at some big churches in big cities uh, with, with even thousands of people attending their services every weekend. I'm not going to share the names of these guys for their protection, uh, mainly because parts or all of this story is made up. Um, but anyway, when preachers get together, when preachers get together, stories are told. If you don't know this already, um, when preachers gather, they, they start to compare. They compare how many people they have coming to church, how many baptisms they have had in their church that year, how many, how many services they're having, and meetings they're having a week, how many ministries they have going on. They even, they even compare who preaches the longest sermons, which you know Jared always wins that competition. Sermon link, but no one else keeps up with him on that. But but this time, after all of all of that conversation about that other stuff, the, the talk actually took a turn to to some struggles 
that uh, each guy was having. One of the guys in the group, um, he, he said, you know, the people in our congregations, they come to us when, when they're in need and when they need to get something off their chest. They come to us and, and they pour out their hearts and they confess the needs they have and the sins they've committed and, and, and then we help them repent. We help them get right with God. And I, he said, I think that we should be able to do that with each other here in this group. Did you know we don't often have anyone like that that we can talk to in our congregations? Someone to share our struggles with. And, and confession is good for the soul. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins that God will forgive us. And so he said, let's, let's, let's all take a minute to share our biggest struggle, our biggest sin with each other right here in this group. Now, I didn't think it was a good idea. I was, you know, I was kind of nervous about it. And, and these were guys I knew from school, but I hadn't been around them in years. And, and so... I thought it was a little awkward, so I'm just going to tell you, I lied. I just pretended like my phone was ringing. Remember, most or all of this story is made up. Just keep that in mind. Okay? Pretend like my phone was ringing. And I stepped out of the room, and I, I shut the door behind me. Now, I just stood there for a minute outside the door thinking, what am I going to do next? You know, this is kind of strange. I stepped out like I'm on a phone call. But then I realized as I stood there that I could hear them talking inside the room. And so... I decided to eavesdrop on the conversation. Now, the guy who first made the suggestion to talk about these problems decided to go first, and he said, you know, I've never shared this with anyone before, but I have a drinking problem. And I heard him, as I listened, I heard him say that, you know, it, it started with just a drink or two to relax from, from some of the stress of the job, and unfortunately it progressed to the point where he said he couldn't write a sermon without getting drunk. He said the pressure of writing a sermon had just gotten to be too much every week, so heavy that, that every week he just got drunk while he was preparing his sermon. He told the other guys he hated that about himself and that he wanted to quit, but he just, he just couldn't. He got quiet for a minute. I couldn't really hear what they were saying through the door, so I listened a little closer, and, and then I, I realized what I was hearing. I could hear that they were praying with him. I thought, well, that was kind of neat. So I listened a little longer, and, and when they got done praying, another guy spoke up. And from what I could hear through the door this time, it sounded like he had a pretty serious gambling addiction. He had lost a lot of money, and his wife was on the verge of, of leaving him because of it. He said he thought that the pressure of preaching in such a large church and answering to so many people in his congregation led him to try to find a way to relieve stress as well, and he had turned to the casino to just get away and to be anonymous. And uh, even though it started small, his gambling, he said, had gotten out of control. And it sounded like he was in tears. He was pretty shook up. And then again, I heard the guys in the group take a minute to pray with that guy. And then another one spoke up. Another guy spoke up. And he was pretty quiet. I couldn't make it all out. But, but I could just barely hear him say that, that his biggest sin was that he had misused the church's money. I couldn't hear much else other than he just said how, how guilty he felt, how ashamed he was, and how he didn't know how to come clean with that. And again, the, the men in the room took time to pray for that, that broken man. And, and at that point, I was just so happy that I was standing outside of the room in the hallway and not inside with him. I didn't want to be a part of that conversation at all. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, and it was at that time that I heard one of the other guys say, well, what about you, Jared? We all confessed. You know I get to tell stories on Jared when he's gone, right? Okay. <laughs> What about you, Jared? We all confessed our biggest sin. What, what's yours? What do you have to share? So when I heard him say that, naturally, being the good friend that I am, 
I pressed my ear closer to the door to make sure that I could hear Jared's answer clearly so that I'd be ready to help him with it. But Jared seemed pretty upset. It wasn't really like him. Jared, you know, he's usually pretty under control, but he seemed a little nervous. And, and I heard him say that he couldn't think of anything. He just tried to shut it down. But, but they pushed him a little more. They pushed and they pried. And he still seemed on edge, but, but I heard him say he didn't think it was a good idea for him to share it. They kept prying and persuading for a few more minutes until, until finally through the door I could hear Jared blurt, blurt out, all right, all right, I'll tell you my biggest sin. It's gossip, and I can't wait to post on Facebook tonight. That was a long story. I'm sorry it took so long. But we'll come back to the idea. But last week, Jared started preaching from the book of Psalms. He started in Psalms chapter 1. And we're going to be in Psalms for a few weeks, for a little while. Uh, but we aren't doing anything numerically or chronologically through Psalms. It would be very difficult to do it chronologically. But we're going to work through some different topics in the book of Psalms. Um, today we're going to jump between several passages. We won't be in just one. As a matter of fact, if you want to mark a few, we're going to start in Psalm 107. We're going to go to Psalm 32, and then we will be in Psalm chapter 51. 107, 32, and 51. Now we all have a general idea of what sin is. This morning we're talking about the weight of sin. The weight of sin. And we all have a general idea of what sin is. One of the most common words for sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. You may have heard that before if you've heard somebody talking about sin in the Bible. It's an archery term. It's an archery term. And, and there's a bullseye. There is a target with a bullseye. And when you miss the bullseye, you sin. You miss the target that God has set up in front of you. He sets the standard. He makes the target. He says, here is the mark to hit. And, and we spray arrows all around the target. And sometimes we hit it. Sometimes we hit the bullseye. Sometimes we miss completely. But often, more often than not, we don't hit the exact standard that God has for our life. And when we miss God's bullseye, we sin. We miss the mark. So in thinking about that, obviously there are a, there are a lot of ways that we can sin. There are a lot of different things we can do that are sin. A lot of ways that we miss the mark. But... But probably more importantly than how we sin is that there are also a lot of ways that we can and do react to sin. There are a lot of things that we can do with our sin. We, obviously, like we talked about in the story, we can confess our sins or we can laugh or scoff or mock sin. Jared talked a little bit about that last week in Psalm chapter 1. We can say that sin is not that big of a deal. My, my sin's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. We can compare our sins to other people saying, well, I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as him or I'm not as bad as her. My sin is not as bad as hers. We can blame our sin on someone else. We can ignore our sin. But most often I think, at least for me, most often I think for me, I try to hide my sin. I try to hide my sin because I don't want anybody to know that I fail. I don't want anybody to know that I make mistakes. I don't want anybody to see my faults. That's natural for us. We don't want to admit that we've missed the mark. I, I don't want to stay in that room with that group of guys and let a bunch of other people know about my struggles. But you see, no matter how we handle our sin, what we do with it, whether we cover it up or ignore it or blame it on someone else, justify it or hide it, one thing about sin remains the same. And, and it doesn't matter if your sin is 
is lying or if your sin is a drug problem. It doesn't matter if it's pornography or if it's greed. It doesn't matter if, if your sin is stealing or if it's spreading gossip, like Jared. It uh, doesn't matter the size of the sin or the amount of your sin that you co- or how you cover it up. There's only one, one thing that sin does to us when we don't honestly confess it, when we don't get it out in front. Sin binds us up. It, it, it shackles us. It makes us a prisoner. No matter how big, no matter how small, it makes us a prisoner when we hide it. And we are a prisoner with a death sentence. We're starting in Psalm 107. I'm going to read a few verses. We're going to keep your place in all three of these passages because we're going to go to them once each and then come back to them again. So Psalm 107, we're starting in verse 10 for now. It says this, Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Skip ahead to verse 17. It says some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Now, we don't often think of the seriousness of sin. We don't think about how serious a little sin is, of missing God's mark, or, or as this passage states it, of our rebellion against God. Our sin is missing God's mark. But because most of our sin is born from selfishness, that sin is rebellion against God and service to ourself. Most of our sin is a result of our selfish pleasure that we seek. It's often... Our sin is often about what makes us happiest in the moment. And and because of that thought, what's going to make me happiest in the moment, we often will justify that by by thinking we know what is best for our lives. We think that, you know, God can't be serious about all of these things He says, all of these commands He gives, this, this little tiny target of perfection He sets before us. I mean, think about it. One of the Ten Commandments is to not bear false witness, to not lie. But is it really that big of a deal to tell a little white lie? It isn't going to hurt anyone if they don't find out. They'll never know. Why is it a problem problem for me to lustfully look at the pictures in that magazine? I'm not affecting anyone else. I'm not hurting anyone else. What's the big deal for me to hold a grudge against somebody who has hurt me in some way? I'm not going to talk to him. He's not going to talk to me. We're going to hate each other, but it's not going to hurt anyone. It won't hurt us. It's easy to think that if my sins are not found out, or if they're not pushed onto someone else, they can't hurt us. They can't hurt anyone else, and they can't hurt us. But but the Bible is very clear that we are wrong about that, that our mindset is wrong. Because once sin, once, once this missing the mark or rebellion against God's standard grabs a hold of you, you become its prisoner, this passage says. We, we think we have control of our actions, and, and we think we're in control of the consequences, but we are wrong. You see, the guy who stole money, the guy who stole money from work didn't start stealing. His first theft wasn't by robbing a bank. His, he started with creating an identity of dishonesty by telling little white lies. The man who committed adultery never thought it would go that far when when he was simply alone looking at the pictures in the magazine. The man who who murders another man 
Let a conflict turn into a grudge which turned to hatred, which led to violence. The, the passage we read here paints this picture of the end result of sin, that we are prisoners. Sinners are shackled and are waiting for death. But, but that is what we think of as this end result that's down the road. It, it surely tells just of the major sins or the biggest punishment for the biggest sins, right? Not, not just for the things like the words that come out of my mouth or, or the way that I treat people that I work with. But really this passage should be a reminder that our sin often starts out small. Earlier in the passage it says they were wandering in the desert. They were just wandering around before they began to rebel. Speaking of the Israelites... And so our sin often starts out small. We would probably classify most of our sins as innocent, as harmless. But the consequence of any sin, any time we miss God's mark, is that we eventually become a prisoner to the sin. And every time we miss the target, every time we miss the mark that God has set up for us, we get, we get just a little more comfortable with the idea that just being close enough is good enough for God rather than realizing that God calls us to hit the bullseye. I don't, I don't feel like I have to hit the sinner every time, as long as I'm close most of the time. I don't feel like I have to hit it every time, as long as when I really need to, I can get focused on hitting the target. We, we shrug off sin as if we have control of it, and we can let go of it at any time. I heard, I heard an illustration years and years ago. And I think it was my dad who told this in a sermon years ago. And, and this illustration has always stayed with me. This story's always stuck with me. There was, a, there was a man and his wife who had gone on vacation in Canada. And on, on one particular day, they went to visit one of the popular waterfalls in the area. They were enjoying the scenery. It was a cold day, a very cold day. But they were out enjoying the scenery and the water was still flowing. They were standing on the, on the side of the river up above the waterfall and from where they could see or from where they stood they could see the waterfall in front of them but they could see upstream of the river quite a ways and the water was just gently flowing toward the waterfall the water the water of the river was so peaceful and beautiful until it would reach this great drop off of the waterfall and then all of a sudden the water would fall violently a hundred feet or so down to these big rocks and crash below on the jagged rocks at and on that day, it was cold, as I said, and there were large chunks of ice flowing in the river. And so they stood there for quite a while, watching these chunks of ice flow gently down the river until they got to the edge, and they fell violently over the cliff and smashed to pieces on the rocks below. It was a pretty amazing sight. And in, in the distance upstream, the man noticed that there was actually something on one of the chunks of ice, and as he watched it a little further, he saw that it was the carcass of a dead animal. And as he was pointing that out to his wife, as it was flowing towards them in the river, he pointed out to her that there was a carcass on that piece of ice. Right then, they were surprised to see a majestic bald eagle come swooping down and latch on to that carcass on the ice. Well, it tried to pull the carcass off of the ice, but the, the, the carcass was frozen to the ice. And so the eagle couldn't lift the carcass up, so it just stayed there and began to eat the carcass of this dead animal. The eagle rode on top of this chunk of ice as, as it got closer to the waterfall. 
this, this great bird seemed to be completely unaware of the danger that was ahead. It appeared to be too busy enjoying its meal to worry about the waterfall. And the, the couple watched as this chunk of ice got closer and closer to the edge of that massive waterfall. And the, the great bird, the great bird didn't even look like it cared. It continued to casually eat his meal. And as the eagle, the, the, the eagle waited as the ice floated near and near to the edge until it seemed like there was going to be no way. They thought there was going to be no way for it to fly away in time to escape falling to sure death. But just at the very last second, as that, as that chunk of ice started to tip over the edge of the waterfall, that eagle spread its wings to take off. But it couldn't. Because as it had been sitting there, eating the carcass, its talons had become frozen in the ice. And it was unable to free itself. And the couple watched as the chunk of ice with the animal carcass and the eagle frozen to it crashed to the rocks below. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 tells us that our relationship to sin is similar to that of the eagle and the chunk of ice. James says that it is our own desires that entice us. Like a, like a fisherman who baits a hook. Or like an inviting carcass frozen into the ice that lures the bird of prey. And then when we give in to our desires that entice us, we follow through on that temptation that is before us. We land on that carcass. We sin. It actually says that our desires, the, James 1 says that our desires conceive and give birth to sin. And then our sin, it says, grows and brings about death. It grows up and brings about death. We think that at just the right moment, we can let go of that temptation or of that sin. But by the time that we decide to let go of that sin, right when we think it's just getting dangerous, it's too late. And we realize that we never had a hold on it. It had a grip on us. The passage that we read in Psalm chapter 107 said that those who rebel against the words of God and despise his counsel are prisoners in iron chains. Their afflictions, it says, are the result of their rebellious ways, and they, they draw near to the gates of death. Romans 6.23, you'll remember, tells us that the wages of sin is death. Not just big sins, not just lots of sins, the wages of sin is death. All sin separates us from God and brings about death. Our sin brings a verdict, a judgment, as Ernest talked about. Our sin brings the judgment of death, eternal death. That is a heavy thought. That is a heavy thought. You can't escape the consequences of sin. And the consequence of every sin is death. It doesn't matter, again, if you're stealing money from someone, stealing time from your work, or stealing, stealing looks at dirty pictures. It doesn't matter if you're telling lies, telling gossip, or, or if you tell God you don't need Him. Missing God's mark leads to death. That's the first part of the gospel message. Sin makes us a prisoner. Our sin makes us a prisoner, no matter how much we think we have a hold on it. And the reality is it has us in its grip. We say, well, one more time. Just one more time. Or, or before it gets any worse, before it gets too bad, I'll stop. Or if it becomes a problem for someone else, I'll get help. But, but our talons are frozen to the ice long before we realize it. David in the Old Testament, King David, found himself in this same spot too. You remember 
King David, I'm sure you remember the story. He's described as a, as a man after God's heart. He defeated Goliath when he was just a little guy. He was the shepherd boy who became the warrior king. But I'm sure that most of you probably remember the story of his greatest sin. As he was king of Israel, he was on the roof of his palace, enjoying some downtime, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing across the way. That was it at first. He just sent someone to find out who she was. Go find out who that woman is. She's pretty. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband was Uriah, and he was one of David's warriors. He was off fighting a war for the king. And, and so then, knowing that Uriah was away, David sent people to bring Bathsheba to the palace. And he slept with her. And when he found out that she was pregnant with his child, he tried to send for Uriah to come back home. He brought Uriah home from the battlefield. And when Uriah came home, David tried to convince Uriah Go home, enjoy some time with your wife. He wanted Uriah to be with his wife so that he would think it was his own child. But Uriah wouldn't do that because he said, all of the other warriors are out fighting. I'm not going to betray my brothers and go spend time with my wife. I'm going back to the battlefield. And so David sent him back to the battlefield, but he sent him back with word for the leader of the army to put Uriah on the front line. And when the fighting was the fiercest, withdraw the army so that Uriah would die in battle and God sent his prophet Nathan after all of this God sent his prophet Nathan to confront King David with his sin you can read the story and I would encourage you to do so it's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 it's fascinating and the story of Nathan's confrontation of, of David is as well read it again when you get a chance but you, you see in this story the pattern that we've already established even for King David his, his desire his desire conceived and gave birth to sin, and then his sin grew and brought death to more than just Uriah. God did spare David's life, but he took the life of his son as a result. Now, what I want to do is go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. And even though it doesn't specifically say when David wrote this psalm, it does say that David was the author of this psalm. And, and most of the commentaries on this passage say that they believe David wrote this psalm as a result of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Look at Psalm 32. We'll start in verse 3. When I kept silent, David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, there are a couple of interesting uh, words in this passage here. First of all, when David says, my bones wasted away, the Hebrew word here is consumed. My bones were consumed. They were being eaten away by my groaning. And then the second interesting word is that word for groaning is the roaring of a lion. David said that he was being consumed by the roaring weight of his sin. He couldn't get away from it. He couldn't cover his ears and hide. He was being consumed by this roaring heaviness the burden of his sin. It was, a, it was a major series of sins that were born for David out of a simple, selfish desire. And when David sent the messenger to find out who Bathsheba was, he never thought for a second how large his sin would grow and that it would eventually consume him from the inside out. The weight of David's sin had already consumed the lives of other people as well. But, but this pattern 
This pattern of becoming a prisoner to sin is not a single event in the Bible. This is a common theme in the Bible. King David was a man after God's heart. He wanted what God wanted. He was trying to pursue what God wanted, but he still got distracted by a simple glance that sparked a desire and gave birth to sin that leads to death. And none of us are exempt from that pattern. None of us are exempt from sin. Being a Christian does not exclude us from sinning. We are all still sinners. And I wasn't sure I was going to include this story, but you look like you need let up for a breath of air. So I'm going to tell you a story that may lighten the mood just a little bit. Although, even though none of us are exempt from sin, I did hear about a church one time uh, that taught that, that once you gave your life to Christ and you were baptized you would never sin again. All of your sin was removed immediately and you would never sin in the future. This was their teaching. This was their doctrine that they stood on. And, and one Sunday morning, there was a visitor who came to their church and he heard, this, he heard this preaching and he was so tired of the sins that he continued to deal with over and over again, the same things that he did time and time again, that he thought there can't be anything better than this. If I will never sin again and I never have to deal with the consequences of sin, the burden of my sin, the weight of my sin, I'm all in. And it was extremely cold outside. And the church didn't have a baptistry. But he convinced them to baptize him in the river. And so they went down and they broke the ice around the river. There wasn't an eagle or any of that stuff there. But they broke the ice in the river. And they made a spot for, for the minister and for this man to go down into the river. And so they go down in. They baptize him. He comes up out of the water. And he says... I feel so good, I'm not even cold. And one of the elders turned to another elder and said, he's lying, you got to do it again. <laughs> it is unfortunate that becoming a Christian does not eliminate sin from our life. It, it doesn't excuse us from temptation and desire. We... We still have selfish desires within us. We have a sinful nature that we battle every day, as Paul describes it in Romans 7. We still miss the mark time and time again, the standard that God has set. And it's not just limited to us, and it's not just limited to the, the story of, of King David. As I said, this is a theme over and over again in the Bible. And, and time and time again in the Old Testament, God's people lost sight of His word, of His counsel. They rebelled against what he had to say over and over again they rebelled against what God wanted God's people the Israelites his chosen people continued to miss the mark that he set and I've talked about this with the youth group several times if you read through the Old Testament when we were studying through Judges especially there's a pattern that you see the time of, of the Judges and the time of the kings of Israel you see this pattern repeated it emerges time and time again. Every time the people of God rebelled against him and against what he wanted, every time they did evil in his eyes, then they became oppressed by these other nations around them. These other countries, these other groups of people came in and either enslaved them or punished them, tortured them, um, and had their way with them. When they disobeyed, they became enslaved. When the people of God sinned, they became prisoners. We can figuratively and, and metaphorically and prophetically talk about us talk about us being slaves to sin and, and we know that the very first sin, the sin of Adam the very first sin brought death into the world and we, we can understand that our sin will one day 
bring about a spiritual and eternal death for each of us. But in God's word, we can also look at the record of his people throughout the Bible. And we can see this very same pattern of disobedience to God and oppression or being a prisoner, being enslaved. We can see this pattern lived out historically. David said in Psalm 32, as we read, that, that when he kept silent, when he kept his sin hidden, his bones wasted away. Remember in Psalm 107, it said that rebellion against God draws us near to the gates of death. James 1, we talked about, said that our sin grows up from a simple desire and then it consumes and kills us. Romans chapter 6, we talked about, says that our sin, all sin, brings about death. We are, are shackled by our sin. We are rotting to death from the inside out. But what I am so glad about is that that is not the end of the pattern that we can historically see in God's Word with God's people. Because if you go back through the book of Judges and the time of the kings, you'll see that pattern of, of disobedience and oppression, disobedience and oppression, disobedience and oppression, time and again. But if you look more closely at the pattern, what you'll see is that the people of God repent and God delivers them. In the time of Gideon, it says that once again, God's people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he handed them over to the Midianites to be oppressed. And then eventually, in the same story, it says, but the people of the Lord cried out to God in repentance. And he sent Gideon to deliver them. Again, later on in Judges, just another example. It says, again, the people of the Lord, God's people did evil in his eyes. And so God handed them over to the Philistines to be oppressed. And eventually again it says, the people of God repented for their wicked ways. And God sent Samson to be their deliverer. You can read story after story in the time period of the judges and the kings. And you can understand that it's not just a pattern of disobedience and oppression. Because you see, when God's people cry out to God in repentance for their sin, for their brokenness, for their bondage, God delivers them from their oppression. He breaks them free from their bondage and He saves them from the punishment of death. God gives freedom and joy and life to His people who repent. You can read it in His Word how his people disobey and are oppressed, but then again, you can see that when they repent, God is faithful, and he delivers. We see the same thing in the story of David that we've looked at in the Psalms. Here, save your place again in Psalm 32. We'll come back to it. But turn to Psalm chapter 51. You can see this one does tell us that David, if you look at the top in the heading right under Psalm 51, at least in my Bible, it identifies that David did write this psalm after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba. Here's what it says in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Jump to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That shows us that David repented 
of his sin. And now turn back to Psalm chapter 32, verse 3, where again he says, When I kept silent, as we read earlier, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. The word here for guilt, it's not guilt like when I feel guilty, when I feel ashamed. The word guilt here is the judgment, the punishment that comes. And David said, when I confessed my sin, when it was hidden, it was eating me alive. But when I confessed my sin to God, God dropped the death penalty. Look back at verse 1 in the same passage. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Remember, we started by looking at Psalm 107. We're going to go back there to finish up. That's where we found those who had rebelled. In general terms, the Israelites, those who had rebelled, those who had missed the mark, those who were prisoners suffering in, in chains on the, on the doorstep of death. But look at verse 13 as we see this same promise. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. And verse 19 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. The people of God throughout history and, and for the rest of history have been and will be shackled by sin. And disobedience to God, missing the mark, disobedience always brings about the, the oppression, the slavery of sin. But God's promise is that the repentance always brings about the deliverance of God. I told you Romans 6.23 says, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. But you see the rest of the verse there says that it is the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 8 says that there is no condemnation, there is no punishment, there is no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that it was Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to our sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And Hebrews chapter 9 says that Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of mankind and it tells us that he's coming back not as a sacrifice for sin again, not to bear our sin again. He's coming back to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, the obedience of Jesus Christ on the cross has erased the disobedience of those of us who belong to him. It was his death that broke the chains of our bondage to sin, and it was his resurrection that gives us the hope of eternal life. Because while disobedience always brings oppression, slavery, death, repentance brings about the deliverance of God. Look at the very last verse of Psalm chapter 107. As it closes this passage, here's what it says in verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of our Lord. Sin brings death. 
Jesus brings life. Jesus brings life. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not yet been freed from the burden, the weight, the penalty of your sin, please don't leave this morning without finding one of us. One of the elders will talk to you, myself, anybody here that you, you know and trust, you can catch Jared when he gets back. Find a way to get a hold of us because we want to talk to you about the freedom, the life that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it's a heavy thought to think about how many sins I have committed and how much distance, separation I have put between myself and you. But Lord, I can't think of a more encouraging thought than to know that when I pushed you as far away as possible with my sin, before I ever loved you, you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice, to pay the price, to go to the cross, to be my death. What a great message. We thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray as we leave this place, we would live our lives for his glory because of what he has done. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning.